I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Then we move on to the main event, which is typically either a, a main topic of discussion or a main review. Then we move on to film faves, our favorite films around a particular topic, usually respective lists. In this episode, our main event will be a review of Jordan Peele's latest film, Us. And then we'll switch gears a little with film faves and counting down our favorite foreign films of the decade, continuing our year-long series corresponding with the Gibson Reviews year-long series of Best of the Decade, uh, where we're going genre by genre during the course of the year, counting down our favorites from the decade, looking back at the decade that is coming to a close. So, should be a lot of interesting stuff coming up this episode. Let's start first with the Week in Review. We don't have a whole lot to talk about. Uh, I will start. I First of all, I will say that I have been, I've been finding the flu, apparently. I'm told I have had the flu this past week, so I didn't do a whole lot except watch a lot of stuff, most of which was either for comfort food or trying to uh, use my time to do research for future episodes. We should totally do a comfort <clears throat> food episode. That's that a good idea. Really fun. Make a note. There we, you go. Yeah. We've got our new idea now. Yeah, we have another idea. Don't forget that. So uh, I watched, for the very first time, a film from 1987 called Throw Mama from the Train. Have you ever seen this, Shanna? Wow, that sounds like such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you. No, I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. What is this? You haven't? Okay. It's a dark comedy by Danny DeVito. He directed it, and he stars in it, along with Billy Crystal and Anne Ramsey. Oh, weren't we supposed to watch that together? <laughs> I don't know. I can't keep track of these things anymore. Right. You're forgiven because you're sick. Thank you. Anyway, I expected this movie to be terrible, but I'd never seen it before, and it's one of those 80s titles I, you know, that's always stuck with me, I've always heard about, and all that sort of stuff, right? So, basically... Uh, Billy Crystal, he plays the, this put-upon writer whose ex-wife stole his book idea, published a book, became this huge successful author, best-selling author that's now in, you know sitting across from Oprah Winfrey on her talk show and you know coming across like this empowered woman, right? And Billy Crystal has very bad things to say about her because he, he took her or she took his story. And he will say those nasty things quite openly, quite publicly, and even in front of his class. Uh, he teaches a writing class, which Danny DeVito's character attends. Uh, Danny DeVito is this one of these quiet people who uh, doesn't have uh, any friends. He lives with his mom, and his mom is played by Anne Ramsey. He's this very overbearing very mean, very cruel woman who slaps and yells at him all the time. 
And long story short, Danny DeVito gets inspired to help Billy Crystal's character out. And, and the expectation is that Billy Crystal's character will help him out by each other crisscross killing each other's people. One of those. Okay. Yeah, it's right. it's kind of also inspired by Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Oh, okay, that's really Which, funny because there's a Simpsons episode that parodies that concept. There you go. So you know, I expected this movie to be awful, and it's not. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, Danny DeVito actually reminds me again why I love Danny DeVito and why America loved Danny DeVito at that time. You know. He, you know, he had a huge career in the 80s, right? He was in a lot of movies in the 80s. And, you know, he's, he's at times sweet and um, at the same time very naive, you know, and also very misguided, you know, at times too, you know. Um, Billy Crystal is, of course, the, the straight man, the voice of reason, the I cannot believe this is even happening kind of guy. And I, and I wouldn't say this is his best performance or one of them of the 80s. But it's not bad. It's not bad. I, I will say it has, it, for a black comedy, it doesn't go really black. It ends up having a pretty um, happy ending and a neat little bow at the end of it. Uh, but it's it's not too bad. It's, you know, if you are like me, sick at home, and you're looking for something different you haven't seen, you know, you can put that on Amazon Prime, and you could spend your time a lot worse, I would say. So, uh, Throw Mama from the Train is a, it's a, it's an okay comedy uh, from the late 80s. Shanna, because partially, uh, well, mainly, I, I would expect, because of our list that we are going to be discussing later in the episode, we watched a foreign film not that long ago in prep for this that you wanted to talk about. I didn't quite make the future discussion in this episode, but definitely still worth uh, discussing, yeah? Yeah, I think so. All right, so that was Denis Villeneuve's Incendies from 2010. Of course, Denis Villeneuve had a hell of a decade. He went on from in this film to make Enemy, Prisoners, Arrival, and Blade Runner 2049. Um, there might have been another movie in there that I'm forgetting. But uh, so we're fans of Denis Villeneuve in general, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this kind of completed the picture of of his decade for us. Uh, what did you think of Incendies? Incendies is a story of twins discovering their mother's mysterious past, and there's a revealing. It's very revealing of the extent of horrors that war brings into people's lives and the ripple effects mm-hmm. um, it has in the generations to come mm-hmm. unless the gener- you know unless the individual decides to break it you can only only when you become conscious of it can you break those horrors that keep you know rippling through right your family line i think that his films are really tightly done and they're very precise there is no time wasted there's no filler at least over here or you know if I think of his other films I don't really like there isn't a scene where I'm like oh god that was just for filler yeah so I really like his work I like his he's very purposeful with what he does that's absolutely for sure he's definitely a, a craftsman 
and a visionary. And I think we'll probably be talking more about him as the year goes on. I'm sure looking back at the work of the decade. But yeah, this film, you know, it being about a, a woman who's going off and discovering all these things about their mysterious mom and and as such their, their family. And this isn't some like normal like American journey to to of self discovery, right? They they go to what what country is? Oh yeah, it's some unnamed country. Yeah, they in, didn't even reveal, so it could be based right. on a couple different countries in the Middle East. It's definitely a <clears throat> Middle Eastern country. It looks like it. Although I did some research, and I remember something suggesting that it might have been based on Portugal oh, at the time, wow. which is interesting. Okay, so was that during? What was that time period? If I remember correctly, it was like the 70s. But something happened, like the country yeah. got taken over? Was um, that in Portugal, or am I thinking of a different country, European country? Oh, sorry, yeah. I misspoke. Lebanese. It may have been in, in, uh, influenced by the Lebanese Civil War. I don't know why I thought Portugal. That's so far off from accurate, Geograph- geographically and phonetically. But anyway... Yes, my ear is not trained to the different things, the mm. different uh, languages that span throughout the world. Mine it was interesting to see the different connections that were being made in there, and it's a fascinating film to watch. Just fascinating. Yeah, not necessarily a feel-good film. Um, it's... No, you have to be in a drama. You have to be in a drama mystery mood. Yeah. Like it's not going to be pleasant, but it is fascinating to no end. Yeah. So uh, that's Incendies, the uh, French-Canadian film by Denis Villeneuve, which is available on Netflix. And then next, what we should really talk about is Before I Got the Flu. <laughs> well, we, I had the flu. And in between episodes, mm-hmm. uh, we went to Emerald City Comic Con. Did you have the flu the entire time? I don't know what I've had for the past three <clears throat> months, but I think that if you have the flu right now, if a nurse is telling you you have the flu, then I probably had it as well. Damn, girl. So, and probably during Comic-Con. Wow. Because that's my luck this year. Right. This is the year of, like, sickness for me. Right. Well, uh, did, were you able to have fun at Comic-Con? Yeah, I had moments of fun. We definitely got to hear really amazing people talk and meet really amazing people. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that as it pertains to film and TV. Of course, we saw a lot of things that weren't necessarily related to that, but we wanted to spotlight for you and share for you a little bit of what was. Of course, you probably saw or can see some highlights on the Instagram uh, page, the Gibson 99, if you haven't seen those photos. Feel free to check those out. But uh, let's see. We got to meet a couple people. Yeah. The first one that we got to meet was Gwendolyn Christie. And that was really fun. We yep. got to hear her interview first. Yes. Now, for those who aren't familiar or don't don't quite know names very well, uh, Gwendolyn Christie is, of course, Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones and Captain Phasma in the latest Star Wars films. So uh, why don't you talk, uh, tell us a little bit about that Q&A that uh, she had. What's great about a Q&A is you get a taste of what this person might be like. Yeah. In real life, away from the screen or mm. stage. And that's really nice. So you get to hear her, you know, she looked pretty relaxed. And so you get to hear what she really sounds like and the language that she really uses as opposed to Game of Thrones or yeah. freaking... Um, Star Wars, it's like two different sort oh, yeah. of dia- like 
dialects of English, right? But also two very uptight characters. So. Very uptight, yeah. They're in high positions, I feel. Yeah. So it was really nice to see her as an everyday person. Mm-hmm. And that was lovely. I love her accent and the, you know, the choices of words she uses. And it's really fun. But the best part about it was learning how difficult it is to be in such a successful show in such a successful part and not being allowed to talk about it at all in any way with anyone mm-hmm. and so it's like this big secret this this huge successful thing that's loved and celebrated by many many people around the world game of thrones game by of the thrones, way and you can't say anything about it and now they're on their last season and they had their wrap up and so she got to you know let out the emotion there and cry for a bit or do whatever else she felt and she told us everything yeah what she what you can that's right so we have all the secrets for the final season Wait, of what? game of thrones that's not what i meant i meant her emotional state <laughs> so now let, just, let's be clear we are not you are not going to learn anything about what to expect in game of thrones here so rather she talks about <clears throat> what it's like and yeah. that's really interesting because that's really what you're after right it would be nice if we knew a little something about the upcoming whatever but upcoming season yeah yeah i'm just talking in celebrity terms too you know hollywood celebrities but movie celebrities but it was so interesting how she talked about the concept of having to keep her mouth shut until everything is over and how just coming back to the emotional stuff she's going to mourn it again because now it still has to now the show still has to air yeah and then when it's finished and she can talk about what it was like yeah you know the last season then she's complete and i just thought that that was a really interesting concept that maybe we as viewers uh do not think about yeah and it's not like she's gone through a grieving process and now she has to go through it again let's be clear like it's just kind of been the steady thing that that now will finally have will will have its sense of of finality in a couple months when the final episode airs and that's when it's really really over for her she did talk the the entire time about game of thrones without talking about game of thrones right uh, which actually kind of surprised me because she wasn't in any way asked anything about Star Wars. And, and that, that to me is kind of surprising because it's like no one's talking about Star Wars yet. It's like no one's going to talk about Star Wars for a few months, I guess. Um, uh, which I find peculiar, you know. Well, it's just timing, I guess. I guess, I guess. But it was lovely well, to see her talk. Yeah. No, I just realized something that happened in the second part of that trilogy to her, so I don't know if she can tell us anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, if she's even really, uh, a part of it or whatever, right? Yeah. Fair point. <laughs> so we then got to meet her. Yeah, that was really fun. And so because of not talking about Star Wars, we got to ask, you know, which, which armor is the worst to wear essentially between Brienne of Tarth and Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and Captain Phasma in Star Wars. Right. And she said that 
the Game of Thrones armor is just so heavy, but the Captain Phasma armor is what was the word she used to describe it? It's I, so much more difficult to move. Yeah, I want to say clunkier, but yeah, I can't remember the word she used. <clears throat> Same idea, yeah. 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 Uh, but that was really lovely, and I got my Force Awakens Target exclusive Blu-ray signed and I by told her. I her to sign as big as she could, even if the others can sign later. It doesn't matter. She should have the, the big spot That's very, herself. Very kind of, yeah. <laughs> So well, then she got a kick out of that, I think, so that was nice. Yeah, so anyway, we should move on to other things that we talked about and, and met. Um, you want to talk about Stranger Things cast. The reason cast. I wanted to bring it up was because they have the same sort of lifestyle, I guess, as Gwendolyn Christie because they have to be quiet, too. They mm-hmm. can't give anyone anything. Mm-hmm. All... Gwendolyn was able to say was that the armor is so heavy and she's not going to miss wearing it. Yeah. And what the Stranger Things cast was able to reveal is that it's going to happen in summer, which we all know from the trailer. You're talking about season three. About season three. And they're all going to wear shorts. Right. And I just thought that that was really funny. Yeah. And I kind of like that they're not allowed to say anything about the show because it's still going on and... It's kind of nice to hear about them as people, you know, beyond the show. Otherwise, like, I've noticed that when a show is done, yeah, people will ask questions about specific episodes of the actors, and sometimes they'll know, and sometimes they won't, but then it's, like, the focus isn't on them as people anymore. So it's kind of nice that that they're not allowed to say anything. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. So with, it, with the focus on the kids being kids that was crazy energy on the stage okay oh my god I mean, it wasn't that crazy it wasn't like oh my god they're I chaotic had to really pay attention to each you know each of them yeah um and what they were doing so that i would know who actually is speaking oh. because sometimes they would speak over each other which is fine they're all yeah. excited yeah and i think the most amusing thing of all was somehow they got oh they got asked a question if you were wearing a superhero costume and fighting crime, how often would you wash, wash your superhero it. suit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who was it that called for their mom? Finn Wolfhard. Yeah, so he's like, I don't even know how often my laundry gets done. Mom, mom, can someone get my mom? <laughs> that was really sweet and awesome. Uh, because his mom actually did come out Yeah, from his mom backstage. was there with him. Yeah. And I think two of the, the kids had their bigger brothers there too, so that was kind of sweet. Hmm. Uh, and to be clear, we had Sadie, Sadie Sink, Kayla uh, McLaughlin, Finn Wolfhard, and Gayton, um, what's his last name? I can't remember, Matarazzo or something like that, uh, were, were all there, all four of them. The thing uh, that I noticed was that Gayton and Finn talk the most, and Gayton's very self-aware of the fact that he talks uh, a lot. Yeah, so he does apologize in between, and he does like, yeah. say, like, hey, Sadie, you haven't spoken for a while. Right, and, so and he just sits there and she's like, I'll say something when I'm ready to say something. Yeah, and I was really watching Sadie. I'm not sure if the personalities just kind of overwhelm her or if she's naturally in this uh, period of her life where she doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of self-confidence yet and is, is, is as outspoken as the guys are or what, but she was definitely uh, pretty quiet. I think it's difficult when you're with a group. 
Yeah. So it would have been interesting to see if it was just two of them at a time. Yeah. That would have been, I think that would have been a completely different experience. Yeah. I don't think it's like a self-confidence thing. Although we don't know what's going on in her head and what she's dealing with, but... We don't know her. We don't... We, we yeah. hardly see anything of her anyway. Anyway, and then do you want to speak about the next one? Yeah, Mary McDonald, who... That was cool. I grew up with from Dances with Wolves and Sneakers and Independence Day, playing the First Lady in Independence Day, and but of course, uh, absolutely was astonished and fell in love with her as uh, President Roslyn of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, we got to, let's see, did we meet her first? We met her first and then saw her in a Q&A and meeting her was really cool. You were excited because what do you know, what do you know her from most? I was super excited because my first exposure to her was in The Closer, actually. And she, The Closer, you know, stars Kira Sedgwick as this chief who's very proper to the rule book uh that's how she stirs things up when she comes into this new squad uh in la from atlanta and she's very particular and pedantic about it Mm -hmm. and then mary mcdonald comes in and she's really cool because she's kind of the same kind of pedantic and particular as kira sedgwick's character but they're from you know mary mcdonald is in internal investigation and Kira Cedric is like invest I don't know how to say it but investigation of murders and things like that whereas Mary McDonnell is checking that everyone within the police department is doing their job correctly like internal investigations yeah, right internal affairs yeah so seeing these two incredibly powerful leaders coming head to head and they both kind of air this power yeah um, you know, it was just really entertaining and wonderful to me. And then Battlestar Galactica happened after that. Well, I mean, you came across Battlestar after that. Yeah. But she technically was For in... For me, yeah, Battlestar came after that. Just to be clear, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, she was in Major Crimes, which was a spinoff of The Closer. Um, and well, I think three or four seasons, okay. or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I got to ask her about you know, her time on The Closer. And I said, thank you so much for, you know, being this amazing character, being this amazing person. And she was so sweet because she said, thank you so much. I tried, I worked really hard on that, making sure that I wasn't going to overstep and, you know, insert myself, you know, with the power that I would have next to Kira Sedgwick and Mm. it was just really nice to hear her talk about that yeah can I mention what she said to the person in front of us about the same topic about uh, the same show about Battlestar Galactica well uh, let me segue to there by uh I I got to talk to her about Battlestar uh, and, and also share with her you know I grew up watching her and all that sort of stuff and uh but uh one of the things that that she was saying uh, to me about Battlestar was that you know at that time there was that show was full of all these female characters in, in these positions of leadership and strength and all that and we didn't we didn't have that in real life at that time right and you know it's interesting how that's that's changed 
you know. Uh, well, she did talk about how she got inspiration from one or two women in leadership roles. Thank you. I forgot about that. But there, but but she emphasized there really wasn't much, right? Yeah. And so uh, we we talked about how like you know science fiction like that that's part of what science fiction does is kind of show us what's what we can be what's possible right Mm -hmm. and Battlestar definitely did that with having a woman president and everything Uh, but what did she say to the next person or or person she was so nice to the person in front of us because the person in front of us talked about how you know she just loves Battlestar Galactica and Mary McDonald said you need to go watch it again because it is so important to see all those women in those leadership roles Mm -hmm. so that we can be those roles right now in real life yeah and that was just so awesome to hear and she was just so sweet because she even asked the person and what do you do (laughs) it was just really sweet and engaging i think it's totally worth you and i determined that when we go to cons it's so valuable to go and meet them at a signing yes as yes. opposed to a photo op because oh, they're moving yeah. so fast yep. and you don't get to ask them anything exactly but if you are getting something signed they're taking the time to get to know you and that's just really sweet 100 percent, i agree absolutely yes and that's a great segue to the q a that we saw her do which uh, amazingly enough, I didn't even know this was a thing, but I noticed on the on the, the Q and A that it was going to be run, or it's going to also factor in Trisha Helfer, who of course played Six on Battlestar Galactica, right? And I was and, and I was like, wow, like why is she going to be here just for this? And at first, the Q and A was supposed to be just for a half an hour, and then they changed it to being an hour long thing. And it turned Which out... Which was very exciting when we saw that time change. Yes, absolutely. It turned out Trisha Helfer, with a guy named Mark Bernardin, does a podcast together where they watch Battlestar, uh, where they talk about Battlestar, I should say, episode by episode. And they talk in depth about the series. So, Which, to me, immediately indicates, wow, the, like this show actually means a lot to Trisha Helfer for her to want to take the time to talk about and spend hours talking about this show to such great length, you know, that's really cool. And for her to fly in to Seattle for just a one hour interview with Mary McDonald, um, I was like, whoa, that That is so cool. That must have been really fun to do for her. Right. She must have been like, oh, Mary's going to be over there doing that. Let's go. Yeah. And that's <laughs> that must be so fun to be able to do. Yeah, and that's why Mary was actually rewatching the series because she wanted to prepare for this Q&A that she had. And they, what they did was they didn't talk about a particular episode in this. They really kind of focused on Mary, uh, interviewing Mary, with a focus on a theme of responsibility. And it was a really interesting interview where you actually hear these people speak. It was, you know, a lot of these celebrity interviews, Q and A's. You know, they're they're fun, but they're superficial. You know, they they they're frilly and fluffy and and just kind of you know just fun. You know, you get to enjoy and have fun with the celebrity for a little while. But this one was actually these people actually talking thoughtfully and deeply about a show that people clearly loved. And that was really refreshing and interesting. That's really important to look at now. <clears throat> sure. Know? It's so relevant now. It's yeah. It's really yeah. cool. So the whole time you're telling me 
I thought it was really funny because the whole time you're telling me Trish, is it Trish or Trisha? Trisha. Trisha's going to be there, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. I just thought she was another cool interviewer that we liked. Like, who's <laughs> the interviewer that we liked? Claire Kramer. Claire Kramer. Who we didn't get to see this time. Yeah, we didn't get to see her. But, so I was like, oh, that's good, good. And then <laughs> we get, we're there, and we're waiting for them to come on stage, and all of a sudden, Six is on stage, and I'm like, oh, my God, did you know? <laughs> Like, I've been telling you all week. So it, yeah. was, it was really funny. It was kind of nice that I didn't know who you were talking about. Oh. Because I'm bad with names. Okay. Because then it was like this big surprise, you know? Yeah. So I, I quite enjoyed that surprise. And I like that, you know, you talked about how sometimes these interviews are a little frilly, but this one was really cool. I think it was a really good mixture. They did share some great stories that happened on set, and I think mm-hmm. people should go and find that episode and go listen to it because yeah. it is pretty fun. And the one thing that I will talk about because of who I am is they were changing from film, so from film to digital, uh. and the lighting and the way the medium oh, yeah, behaves yeah. is very different between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah, and. Trish is supposed to be, you know, Six is supposed to be this ethereally, constantly lit thing. And it wasn't working out. She was getting blown out or something was happening that made her not look ethereal. And they were kind of taking it like they were saying, oh, you look bad. When actually it's like, oh, our lighting looks bad. Right, yeah. Oh, we're having difficulties with this medium. Right. And Mary MacDonald had been around, you know, she talked about how she'd been around for a really long time and she knew that it had nothing to do with Trisha. It was all to do with the technicalities. Right. And pulled Trisha aside and said, this isn't you. Mm. This is the technicalities. You are just great. And... How cool is that to like get pulled? I would love to be pulled aside by Mary MacDonald and be given a, a little pep talk. Yeah, I think that was really important and great for Trisha because remember, like, uh, this was her first, I believe, her first acting gig. She had, you know, been a, a model, I guess, before and really. You know, this was not her world, from what I understand. Um, even though, you know, you could probably come across some similarities in the modeling world, too. Because oh, it's all about lighting and everything, too. But still, you know, so that was really um, great for her to have Mary kind of take her in like that. But we have one more panel to talk about really quickly that's relevant, right? And that is the, why did it take 20 films to get Captain Marvel panel? Really, what we experienced there was I feel a bunch of bitching and I am one that loves bitching but I felt like everybody bitched about their opinions and then it was up to each individual to come away with the reason they thought it took so long yeah which I guess isn't a bad thing but wasn't exactly what I was expecting right did you want to say something well, I think it's worth noting that, first of all, it was a discussion about Captain, the movie Captain Marvel. So, you know, to me, I'm realizing that going in, if I haven't seen Captain Marvel, I'm not going to go to that panel. We have seen Captain Marvel. We've reviewed it in the previous episode. So we were good to go. But there are actually people who came to that panel who hadn't seen the movie yet 
And I mean, you know, we're talking spoilers, right? And only one guy, they got, they got fair warning right up front. There's probably about a dozen people rose their hands saying they hadn't seen it yet. And only one guy got up and left having the smarts to that get up and left. That was a smart person. Right. The other 10 people or whatever, like, they would literally cover their ears and shake their heads whenever, frequently, we talk about, like, plot elements in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was a little silly. If I were them, I would have left. I would have like, nope. I feel like if you're going to a con or a show mm-hmm. that's going to talk about movie A or TV show B, yeah, you need to be caught up. Otherwise, there is going to be a spoiler because right. they might want to talk about how it's been going, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that happened for me one year when I was like a season or two behind in True Blood and I got to hear one of the... The actresses from True Blood talk and something got spoiled for me and I was like oh shit but you know what it's my own fault because if yeah. you're going to a con you're expected to be up to date right yeah and the same goes for movies that will be talked about at a con yeah exactly exactly that yeah absolutely absolutely so we should wrap up and move on from our Emerald City Comic Con coverage but if you're interested in, in the Mary McDonald, Gwendolyn Christie, or Stranger Things panels, you can actually catch those Q&As on SciFiWire.com right now. So check them out and search for them. They're a delight and a lot of fun to to watch. All right, so now it's time for our main event, which is our review of Jordan Peele's Us. That's a classic right there. What does I Got Five want it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. <laughs> you hear Gabe got a boat? He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? Jason? Jason! Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Exactly like us. They think like us. They know where we are. We need to move and keep moving. They won't stop until they kill us. And we kill them.
That's from the trailer to Jordan Peele's Us. Whenever we review a film on the movie lovers, what we like to do first is we like to look at the good, talk about what we liked about a movie, what worked about the film uh, for us, and then talk about the bad, what didn't work for us. You know, kind of weigh you know, whether the good outweighed the bad, and uh, also talk spoilers and final thoughts. So... Shanna, you and I are big fans of 2017's Get Out, Jordan Peele's directorial debut, which was a huge uh, sensation that year and really seemed to have its uh, finger on the pulse of our society at that time and was a bit of an eye-opener as well. A lot of, there was a lot of anticipation towards his next film. Did Jordan Peele measure up or did he experienced the sophomore slump. I don't think he experienced anything bad. I feel like he made two really, really great movies. He made he made Get Out and then he made Us. Mm -hmm. And Get Out was pretty easy to digest with some horror elements, some horror fantastical elements. Mm -hmm. And then Us, I'm not picking up on the realistic factor, like what was present in Get Out. There's like this really I don't want to say anything specific about get out I just want to talk in general terms yeah there's this real specific realistic thing happening for black people in get out and then they add the fantastical creative elements to the story okay right to make it more like holy cow you know and in us I don't I can't find the thing that's realistic that's you know perhaps a, a specific topic I can't find it as easily as I did with Get Out. Okay. And I feel like a lot of Us, uh, the film Us, is very creative concepts, and it's a little hard for me to figure out. Well, I think there's a lot to chew on. Yeah, so I haven't, I mean, I would watch this again. It wasn't as horrific as I thought it was. Well, we, I think we talked about it in previous episodes, we totally expected it to be an absolutely chilling and frightening experience, right? Based on the trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're saying it wasn't quite that. There was definitely moments where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yes. Yes, you <laughs> made me laugh. I said that a lot. <laughs> yeah. During the film, I was like, oh, no. And, like, I was like, get it, get it. But it wasn't as terrifying as I thought it was going to be. Like, when we switched off the lights at night to go to sleep, I did think about us yeah, just a little bit because, you know, according to the trailer, we're seeing a different version of ourselves, mm -hmm. a darker version of ourselves. And so I did think about that for just a minute. Yeah, right. And then I had to think about My Little Pony to kind of <laughs> balance me out. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> sure, um, it's a long answer to your question, but there we go. Was there anything else you liked about the film? Yeah, I, I really loved the carefully constructed compositions and color choices mm -hmm. with their symbolic value. Uh, and, there's the, and the cinematography was very sharp, very crisp, and almost like shiny to me, if that makes sense. It was mm. just really pristine, really clean, 
shots. I, I don't like the whole, I think like something I could compare the opposite is the nun. It's very grungy and very dark and you uh. don't really see anything and it almost feels like a really cheap trick. Uh. Whereas with us, the way the cinematography is, it's so pristine and and colorful and sharp that you know you're reliant on the performances then uh, and, yeah i would and the other yeah. storytelling elements yeah and that is so much more rich to me yeah than something like the ring or the nun it's really i well i would fight you about the ring but uh i see what you're saying uh because i actually think the ring actually falls in this category too where the performances um okay. it's really trying it's really trying not to hide the performances because that's where it's key yeah. uh, in telling stories. And so. you can see them all the time, all the actors, all the actresses. And it was really lovely to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss in there too. Mm-hmm. She um, co-stars, yep. Yeah. I want to look at this film again. And that's the thing, right? It's yeah. a good horror film. It's a good film Yeah. if you want to watch it again. I love the contrasts of Elizabeth Moss's family versus Lupita Nyong'o's family. Okay. It was very interesting to see how Elizabeth Moss's character would unwind with wine and more wine and more wine mm-hmm. and Lupita Nyong'o just sat there really tense with her water her water her water <laughs> and right. then the children between the two families were really interesting too you know we all know that teenagers are typically zombified into their phones and um, even that's though, the stereotype but yeah, yes right uh, even though Lupita Nyong'o's daughter has her phone with her all the time it's just one earbud that's in her ear the rest of the time she is actually paying attention and then you've got you know elizabeth moss's children they're just they're just weird man <laughs> you know so very interesting how the fam- families were being contrasted yeah i'm going to i'm going to get up their cast list just so we can uh, adequately credit them uh here in a moment here but I, I thought this was a, a brilliant film. I think this is going to be an iconic film. It's got iconic visuals, just like Get Out does. And it's, it's visually and otherwise, it's going to be considered one of the greats. Uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph, by the way, plays her daughter. Yes, plays her daughter. Yeah, this is, this is a movie that has a lot to chew on. You, I thought it was one thing about one thing, and then it's clear it's about something else. And then it just kind of like weaves a little in its direction. It's not a predictable film, thematically or otherwise, uh, but it is very rich and interesting. And I do agree, it's a movie that begs for rewatches, you know? to be able to keep chewing and keep digging at what what it is about and what it's saying you know uh, about us right Lupita Nyong'o gives her best performance I feel since 12 Years a Slave in a a dual role it's uh, absolutely fantastic and chilling at times and and you know so does the the rest of the cast because there is a dual performances going on as the trailer indicates. I, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time before we get into spoilers here because I feel like there's a lot bigger and better discussion we can have when we get into spoilers about this movie. I, I will say this this this, 
this is an almost flawless, just uh, really solid horror film. It'll be the horror film to beat this year, uh, for sure. There's a lot of horror films coming out this year, and I just I'll, they'll be hard pressed to measure up. I think. Was there anything that didn't work for you in the film, generally speaking? No, I th- I thought that this was a pristine film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say, just generally speaking, there is one last thing it does toward the very end that might have been just one one thing too much for me i'm still trying to figure out how it lands for me um and how maybe it lands for me uh better thematically than practically not really sure but that's probably the only thing that made me like uh i don't know um, about the whole film i was okay with that thing well, we'll get into yeah. it. We'll get into it in a minute here. But let's kind of wrap up for those who haven't seen the film so we can get into spoilers. What's, it sounds like the good definitely outweighs the bad for the movie for you. Yeah, if anything, the trailer, like to all the people that are a little bit like unsure of going to horror films, go to this one. You'll be fine. Uh, light some sage in your house <laughs> afterwards if you need to. But I, I think it's totally worth watching. I give it like a 9 out of 10. Yeah, totally safe to say, by the way, there's way more to this movie than what's in the trailer. The trailers were more. The trailers that happened before the movie were more scary to me than the actual film. Well, I don't want to undersell it because I think it is actually terrifying. Oh, it is. Like, to me, it's a different kind of terrifying, though. It's like mm. mentally terrifying. Mm. It's not like, holy shit, we're all going to die. <laughs> terrifying. You know. Yeah, it does have, for me, still some of that uh, someone, someone's coming to kill you kind of aspect to it. And, and, and when, when someone dies, you don't necessarily, I mean, I don't necessarily enjoy what I see. You know, it's not pretty uh, kind of thing. It does have those elements in the movie. So it is terrifying. Just it, it wasn't nearly as um, unbearably terrifying as we expected it to be. But a great film. Gosh, a 9 out of 10, that's really high. I definitely for sure give this an 8 out of 10. I'm not sure if I can go quite as high as a 9. But let's let's get into spoilers. If you haven't seen Us yet, check the show notes. Check, uh, skip to the timestamp for film faves from here on out because we're going to have an in-depth spoiler, spoilery discussion of Us starting now. Okay, so Shanna... Let's walk through the plot elements here a little bit, right? So the first third of the film, we real, we learn that Lupita, when she was younger, she went to a carnival in Santa Cruz. She strayed like a damn fool. And, uh, you know, no, no kid should stray, right? I mean, that's basic common sense. There's nothing wrong with me saying she's a damn fool for doing that. And, you know, it's one of those things that you're telling the screen, no, don't go away, <laughs> you know. She does. She goes to a fun house of mirrors, ends up to cover, uh, discovering another version of her, right? Cut to present day. She's got a family. They go to Santa Cruz. She's a little antsy about the whole thing. She doesn't like the trip. She, she wants to leave. And just as she's finally telling her husband for once um, about her issues. Her PTSD. Well, and everything, is, right? Yeah. Like, after being married for, like, close to 10 years or whatever, things start to go down. And just like in the trailer, we see the family comes and all that sort of stuff, right? So it appears that the family, the the red jumpsuit family, wants to replace 
the family we've gotten to know and and love, right? Yeah. And wants to kill them one by one. They get away from that situation more or less, right? One way or another. And we jump to the friend's vacation house, Elizabeth Moss and her husband, and they have two teen daughters, I guess. Tw- twins. They twins, yeah. yeah. They hear something, and we're under the assumption that a couple of the jumpsuit characters are going to that house knowing that that would be their next place that they would go to, right? Then all of a sudden, jumpsuit versions of that family come out of nowhere and kill them instantly. Yeah. Right? Go on. Okay. Mind blown right there. This opened up the doors to a whole other like world of what 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 is actually happening in this movie, right? It's not just this family. Well, right? And then instantly it's like, oh, well if it's happening to them, that means it could possibly be happening to everybody. And that explains why the cops aren't there. Potentially, right? Yeah. Potentially. Right. And then it kind of uh, goes on like uh, from there it becomes uh, do you want to try to describe and walk us through what it is we're experiencing, what is explained to us about this, these others and this tethered uh, shadow versions and all that? I Unfortunately, I think this there's an element that we're missing. Uh, there is a Bible verse. Oh, yes. Jeremiah 11, 11, which um, I... Is it Jeremiah? I, I thought it was something else. I believe I saw the word... Yeah, Je- it comes right up on Google. Oh, okay, yeah. So Let's find out what that is real quick. But Oh, wow. Like, there's articles on it immediately uh, that comes up. And I knew it. I told you that if we Googled the movie, there would be a lot of think pieces on this. And we haven't yeah, read these it yet. Is the the movie that's making you think, right? Right. Yeah. So exactly. far. So anyway, what we're explained is that there's essentially this dark version of yourself and this light version of yourself. So kind of good and bad. Mm-hmm. And you're tethered, but the light is te- the light side is tethered above ground, and the dark side is tethered down below in these sort of unused subway stations. These tunnels. Tunnel things where that scientists abandoned. And the movie actually starts by saying that there's many, many tunnels underground in the USA and you don't know what they're for and they're and so in the beginning there's this slide that talks about that and Mm -hmm. you know, it obviously sets the stage for okay, well here's why this exists. That's the only like actual clue we're given from the director. Right, and I, I remember, you know, he's he's putting all these pieces out there. It's for us to try, kind of try to figure them all out, put them all together. I'm like, what does the tunnels have to do with another version of yourself? Well, they've got to go somewhere, right? And then, because they right. are this physical thing. They're not like... It's not a spirit. Yeah. Speaking of spirit, it is one of the pieces that gets put out there is that there's one soul. Right, 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 right. For the two bodies, you know. So that was really interesting to see, to hear. I do have the Bible verse up. Uh, Let me throw that in there. It is Jeremiah 11, 11. Therefore thus said the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil on them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry to me, I will not listen to them. Well, I have feelings about that. But anyway, there's what that was. Well, what does that mean to you? 
and and I'm taking it personally right now. <laughs> how, well, okay. Like, but how is it? Oh, you're not gonna help. That's great. <laughs> why do you think that that verse is relevant to the story? Well, because there is this coming of evil, right? Yes. From the tunnels. There this is coming happens yes. and no one's helping. No one external is helping. Like no one police. can help, right? Yeah, because we're led to believe it's happening to everyone. Right. So. Yeah, that's that's as far as I go. Is there's evil that comes. No one's there to help you, but you. Right. You have to deal with the evil, and it just so happens that the evil is you. And yeah. you can't escape it because it's established that, well, they are us, so they know exactly where we're gonna go and what we're gonna do, mm-hmm. and how we would deal with X, Y, Z. I guess. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the themes of of the film. When I'm watching this movie, uh, you know, at one point, one of the characters is asked, um, "Who are you?" and and Lupita's uh, character, the, the the jumpsuit version that you see in the trailers, she says, "We are Americans, right?" And okay, so I'm playing. I'm I'm playing in my mind. There's this whole other darker version of us. They, uh, clearly, it's, to me, some sort of commentary about uh, the dark side underbelly of America, who we really are, that right? We, that never it's, gets acknowledged. It's like, supposed to be like s- some sort of reflection of who we are, right? Right now and stuff. Do you feel like that's, uh, after everything that happens after that all the exposition, everything at the chalkboard and all that sort of stuff um, near the end of that movie. Do you feel like that's what the movie is about or is there something more to it that I'm that I'm missing that's explained in the exposition thematically that the movie is trying to say? I think it's more than that. I think it's us as individuals. It could be it could be anyone. Every country has its terrible flaws. But we're, it's, but it's specifically name checks Americans, and like it even references hands across America. Like there's nothing about this that's international in its themes. Well, then you've got your answer, don't you? Maybe like, I know. You're no. saying that this is what it is, and I'm saying, well, I think it's more like personal as well, and depending on a person's interpretations and what's in shape their interpretations of the world, yeah. that they are going to be capable of seeing at least the similarities between someone in a different country watching this will see the similarities between America and their own. Okay, and but then, what are those? Like, what is, it, what is it trying to say? Well, at the end of the day, the people are what make up the country, right? Okay. All right, so maybe it's got to do with you know, if we have the evil side of people operating a country or living in a country, then I don't know that you have this like evil, this evil organism, you know, and I don't know. There's too much for me to chew on here. There's like too much. I can't, yeah. I don't want to, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to settle on one theory too soon. Yeah. And I feel like this is too soon. It's totally, totally fair. We just saw the movie yesterday, uh, by the way, which was its second or third day open. Uh, it's still very fresh for us, and we're still chewing on it. And that's you know kind of the purpose of the discussion is to chew on it a little bit further. I think there is something significant also to the fact that they can't speak. Except um, for? Except for that one, but there's a reason why that's the case. 
right? But generally, these these uh, jumpsuits, I'm going to call them, they can't speak, right? And if so if, if this is the darkest version of us, the dark underbelly of America, and they are inarticulate, right? It, doesn't that add something? Or not able to speak English. Yeah, right? You know, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't see too much of a difference there. They're not able to speak any language, right? They're not speaking a language. They are communicating with each other, though, because as we see on the lake when Lupita Nyong'o's husband is dealing with his shadow self, yeah, they're grunting at each other and stuff. Well, yeah, and I'm pretty you sure know. he's grunting to Elizabeth Moss's family. Uh, you think so? It's not the son that's doing that because it's not their uh, son that's doing that because their son is in the closet at that point, uh, stuck in the closet. And then... I just assumed it was one of the ones that were out. But uh, that's an interesting point. But the, my point is they are... They, have, they, they at best make animal sounds. You know, they... Um, will growl or snort or or grunt or anything but they they aren't able to make articulate like intellectual dialogue right they aren't able to speak they aren't able to compose sentences or words right and i think that that there, there must be something to that that's a deliberate choice on jordan peele's part too well yeah it certainly saves us time <laughs> I, I think there's probably more to it than that. I, I'm not sure what it is, but I thought it was worth bringing up and discussing. Because well, if no one is teaching them how to speak down in the tunnels, yeah, you've got this... Look, you've got a nature-nurture thing happening here, too. Commentary. Because as soon as, you know, we have the Nyong'o reveal her thing, uh. then, oh, well, you adapted to your surroundings. And mm. you were then able to speak, which is probably why you didn't speak, according to your parents. It wasn't a traumatic event. Mm. You did not know how to speak, and mm. then you figured it out. Mm. So there's that. And then the other version of herself that's in the tunnels had to adapt to... You're dancing around, you're getting. basically basically saying, you may as well just say it. It's finally revealed at the very end that Lupita is actually was body-swapped back yeah. when she was a child. Well, so and... What's interesting is that each one of those mm-hmm. parts of her yeah. made it work mm-hmm. wherever she was. Yeah. The one that had been body swapped, you know, uh, had had enough and made a huge plan to bring about a huge change. Mm. But you're, you're, you are getting at that. It, it, uh, it is, I think there is a thematic purpose to it, not so much a plot driven purpose to it. And, and you're saying that it's a, the, in terms of that, it's a nature versus nurture thing. It could be, but it can also be like our ability to adapt to our surroundings. Uh. And that can invite a discussion of like, well, we as the individuals who are Americans that exist in America already are able to adapt to our surroundings mindlessly or consciously. Mm-hmm. And that can be a very scary thing in itself because what if you're mindlessly adapting to something much like what was happening in Germany during the Nazi reign? Mm. So, uh, you know... An extreme (laughs) example, but one that happened gradually. Yes, it it happens anyway. You know, it's also this really interesting showing of like we're all capable of good and bad given our situation. I mean, the children had to go in and get their mother Uh uh, when she was 
you know, dragged away. Which made them the bravest fucking kids I've seen in a long time, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. Uh, there was, like, there wasn't really any shaking. All their terror had been let out when it first occurred. Probably. When, you know, the jumpsuits first appeared. Yeah. And now they're like, we have to do what we have to do. Yeah. You know? So that's really interesting. I feel like the un- untethering is... An interesting concept. I'm, and by tethering, uh, you mean that what one on the surface does, it controls the one below the surface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but it looks like. And then they did some really uh, brilliant ideas with that too. But it looks like what can happen, is if you're both existing, on the surface, mm-hmm. you can still be controlled, because the boy yeah, yeah, controls yeah. his shadow self. Yeah, but mm-hmm. not so much. You don't really see that portrayed with the others. With other characters, right, yeah. right, right. A little so. bit with the Winston Duke character. With the dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how he starts to figure it out. Anyway, was there anything else that uh, you thought were really needed uh, discussion? I was curious about one thing. What's that? Mostly, I took everything in, but then I became curious at the end. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself. Well, okay, we have a shadow down below and we have a light up above. What about the people who are shadows? What about people that are in their dark practice? You know, what if they're murdering people? Yeah, yeah, like, people. Mm. what kind of darkness are we actually talking about? Like, mm. and if that, like, are they immune? Kind of like the bird box exception. Mm. You know, like if you're crazy, you're not bothered by the thing. You know. Honestly, I have no idea. Um, we so don't really. The only curiosity I had yeah. was what if you already are a shadowed version? Well, a dark, a, a dark individual. A darker. My last thing, I just want to say, it sounds like the final reveal with Lupita's character worked for you. It worked for me because it showed me, it, it reinforced the concept of we're all capable of good and bad, and we're all capable of compassion and evil, and we're all capable of doing what we have to do when the time comes if we're pushed to our limits and we're aware enough of it so that's why that's one of the reasons i really like the reveal for me it felt like i don't want to go straight to the 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 c word cheat but it, it felt closer to that for for me than anything else because you know it was like taking away what I what I knew about this character and, and cared about this character, you know, grown to care about this character. And I'm not sure on a practical level, a story level, that worked for me. But I, I wonder, I was like, okay, well, what does that mean thematically? Because now you're twisting the theme on its head, too. You know, to say that, okay, well, if this is the, you know, the dark underbelly of who we are, or whatever your theme is, and then you're saying, okay, well, then that... That version of her was able to clearly grow up, have a social construct around her, be able to fall in love with somebody, you know, have someone fall in love with her, right? So what does that mean thematically, you know, when you're, when you're, and I'm I'm not, I don't have any answers yet. Like you said, it's still fresh for us and we're still digesting the film. So I'm not really sure how that sits um, and sticks to my ribs. But it is, it is the one thing that gave me, like, hmm, I don't know. I just don't know yet um, about it. But uh, I'm glad that it, it instantly worked for you. Why, why did it work so well for you? 
I liked seeing that we're all adaptable. Not everyone's okay. adaptable, I guess. Okay. But given enough circumstances and situations, yeah, you will adapt okay. because otherwise you will die. And I just I really liked the portrayal of that. Interesting. Okay. The concept in such a weird, weirdly unique way. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna. I, I, we're going to have to sit down and like read some think pieces about this and really continue this conversation off mic, I think, because this is, this is definitely one of those movies where like people should and I think will be talking about it as time goes on. I'm interested to see if they had alternate endings and then maybe oh, that yeah. would give you some relief. Or satisfaction? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe relief isn't necessary. I do feel like this is a film that will be taught taught in in um, in colleges and universities mm. at some point. You know, I think it's it's Good one of that. those it's one of those movies that will be dissected. You know. Yeah. At any rate, uh, what did you think of us? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail dot com. That'll about do it for that review. Uh, for us, let's move on to film faves. Uh, Film Faves, for those who aren't familiar, is a feature on the podcast inspired by a feature from the blog wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, usually a respective list of 12 favorite movies around that topic and often marching backwards through time. However, because the we're at the final year of the decade, uh, the decade is coming to a close, we are doing a series occasionally where we're looking back at the films of the decade and counting down our favorites around particular genres or topics. And in this episode, we are looking at foreign films of the decade. And boy, was this one a challenge for us, wasn't it, Shanna? She's given a, oh, how I've suffered kind of sigh. I've been so sick. And I'll tell you, watching foreign films when you're sick, foreign films are amazing. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful pieces of work. Mm -hmm. They create such an amazing window for us to see something other than everyday America. Yeah. Yeah. Which can get boring as fuck after a while. So foreign films are this wonderfully refreshing thing, but they take a lot out of me. I don't know if you have that, but they take a lot of concentration and a lot of energy to be present with the film because you're going to be exposed to different concepts and ideas and Mm -hmm. uh, cultures and languages and dialects and ways of thinking and being, and it's really awesome. But when you're sick, it's like... You have to hold on to every fiber of your being to pay attention. Right. And so it was a little difficult for me. Enjoyable at the end because now I know, now I have some new favorite films. Which is really kind of awesome and rewarding. It's really great that you get to see things created by people who did not grow up in America. Yeah. And that's going to create something, something really unique, isn't it? It is. I, I will, I will say that. The great thing about foreign films is you do get other perspectives outside your own, right? Um, outside the American experience, you get a more worldview experience. You know, things that are so foreign to you, experiences that are so foreign uh, to you. You know, it's really great to kind of have your eyes open and stuff like that. Now, in past decades, you know, foreign films I think gets bad rap because it's thought of as homework all the time, right? Oh gosh, I have to read. 
watch a movie. Oh my gosh, it's from another country, you know? And I think it gets a really unfair bad rap. And I, I will say though, I feel like foreign films from this decade were much more like homework from compared to foreign films from last decade. And also harder to discover. Like last decade, there were dozens of foreign films I heard about all the time, and some were very easy to find. Some were in the theaters very often, like they're huge hits and all that sort of stuff, right? Like there was a lot of well-known foreign films that came out. It was a huge boom last decade. This decade, I feel like there was less that was talked about that were actually like foreign hits, let's say, you know, international hits, movies that everybody was talking about or what have you, you know what I'm saying? We really had to do our research, I feel like, and also hunt down uh, films. There was a lot less that I had seen before a couple months ago when we really hunkered down and started like figuring out, okay, what do we need to catch up with, right? And so I feel like this decade, and, and just the type of movies too, it was a lot more... It required a little bit more. It was, it was a lot more serious work, I think. Less spectacle, I think. Less comedy. Like, last decade, you had Amelie. You had Kung Fu Hustle, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Hero. You had a, a whole bunch. You like, a lot of actions, a lot of, of romance-type movies, right? And this time, you had, we had a huge emergence of Iranian cinema and uh, other cinema from the Middle East. And we had still a lot more Asian cinema, particularly Korean cinema, come about, right? Korean cinema is actually fucking crazy. Now, <laughs> so crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. We watched was it Bonju? Was it Bonju? Who was our chart? I think Park Park Chan Wook's uh, The Handmaiden. Oh yeah, Jesus. right. You know, that's bad. interesting, right? I don't want to just uh, spoiler our list ahead of time. But yeah, you know, so there's, I don't know. It was more work, let's just say. It was more challenging. It was fun when we were snowed in, though. It was. And we were watching these different foreign films. Yes. That was really fun. Now, we crammed in as much as possible. I saw about 30 foreign films, which I know is not a lot, but it, it, is, it is less than the last decade. But... Uh, you crammed in what you could. I think 18, 20. Was there any that you really, like any regrets that you weren't oh, able gosh. to catch up with? I really wanted to watch Wadja, W A D J A. And that's available on Prime. And uh, what, what is that? It's, a, it's the first Saudi Arabian film. Mm. And it's by a female director from Saudi Arabia. And it's about a young girl who wants to ride a bike and i don't know if things have changed but at this time girls are not allowed to ride bikes right and it's just she just really wants to you know it's it's like her dream yeah and you know she doesn't i don't think she does well at school and then there's a competition where you could earn money you could win money to mm -hmm. so she can get her bike and it just looks really looks really sweet because there's also this really nice mother-daughter relationship that I think is happening and uh, if you watch the trailer it, it makes you want to watch it mm -hmm. and then my other one I regret not being able to squeeze in is Mustang 
which is available, I believe, on Netflix. Correct, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's been on the queue for like two years, maybe three. Shame. And, oh, poor Mustang. And that's about, I think it's a French film about girls growing up. Uh, there's about four girls that I think are living together or just really have close relationships. And they're just trying to grow into being women. Uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen those either. For me, though, my biggest regrets, I'm trying to get up right now what my biggest regrets are that I have not seen in foreign film from this decade, uh, 10, 2010 onward. Uh, I think for me, it's In a Better World by Suzanne Bear was a title that came up often. It's some sort of a childhood drama I don't know much about. Actually, that's actually a, a common refrain for me about these foreign films. I would just watch them knowing either who made them or what the title was, and that's it. Wouldn't really know much about what, what I was getting into, but that was one of them. Poetry by Chang Don Lee came out at the beginning of the decade. That's supposed to be a really strong drama. I think I had like, I don't know, oh, A Fantastic Woman which came out like a year or two ago. Um, that was about a trans woman. I would have loved to have seen that one. You know, and I think like that was for a moment available on Hulu, and then it just went away, and I wasn't able to catch up with it. Those, those were kind of like regrets that I wish I caught up with. Uh, but we did what we could. And so here's the thing. Because it was such a challenging list, we ended up having so many common favorites that we just made it a combined favorites list uh, for this episode. And so what we're going to do is as always, we'll go through, we'll try to, because a lot of these are probably going to be new discoveries for you, we're going to try to point you in the direction of where you can find these films that are available to stream when they're available to stream. Usually it's either HBO Now, Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon Prime that we focus on for those films. Uh, most others you can either typically rent on Amazon or you just have to hunt somewhere else. Uh, shall we get right on into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll start us off with our first film, which is available on Netflix. It is 2010's Mother from the wonderful uh, South Korean director Bon Joon-ho, who, if I'm not mistaken, Shanna, he also... He's the director who also did Snowpiercer, which you loved. Oh, gotcha. Right? Uh, a couple years later, that kind of got you interested in watching this murder mystery, uh, which I always loved. It is uh, stars the absolutely wonderful Haya Ja Kim as a woman who is desperately searching for the killer who framed her son. Her son's a little like mentally slow. He's not what they call mentally re retarded per se, but he is a little bit like um, slow. And sometimes he can't remember things right or say things right. But he's accused of murder and she's trying to, she's trying to find the real killer. And this woman really holds this film because, like, you get, like, everything from warmth and love and compassion from her to just desperation and anger, rage... Uh, just fear, sadness, everything uh, from her. It's just this, this performance is one of the most powerful performances of its year. And one of the, one of the best for, uh, performances I saw from a foreign film from this decade as well. And, and it's also a really strong murder uh, mystery, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a pretty solid murder mystery. That is uh, uh, number 12 on our list. You can find that on Netflix. Shannon, why don't you talk to us about our next film on the list? So our number 11 is Dogtooth, uh, one that you decided you would not sit through again. <laughs> right. That was, you know, from 2010. You have to rent this. You have to, I think you can rent it from Amazon, right? I think so. Yeah. So this is a disturbing tale of parents exerting power over their three children through manipulation and games. And it is something. Oh, and Yugoslav Thomas does this film. Yeah. So that's the same person that did The Favourite. And I saw this film get nominated for Foreign Film of the Year at the Oscars, but I had missed what film it was. And this was before the time like we didn't have the system where we could rewind live tv and quickly see oh what was that film called oh you're saying while watching the academy awards Awards. so like i never figured out what this was and then you said well you could do this one if you want and i was like oh my god yes i will yeah because it's been this mystery for me for years well and also you've seen all of your other films from this decade i believe and this was kind of the only only one that you hadn't seen and his his breakout film too so i enjoyed the film it is disturbing but Mm -hmm. you know it's yugos lanthimos so if you're in a yugos mood mood go and watch this film a yorgos mood yeah yeah um which you may have to be it's not for everybody um but yeah i'm glad that you ended up loving that film oh i didn't love it i just i really really liked it okay (laughs) just enough to make it on the list yeah really great cinematography too all right, well, why don't I talk a little bit about our next couple of movies. Then number 10 is Two Days, One Night by, from 2014, which is available on Hulu, starring Marion Cotillard, and it is by the Darden Brothers. This French film has all the stakes I feel that you need in a film. You have one character who is she's already going through some sort of emotional like depression or, or some kind, right? She has a hard time getting motivated to get out of bed, to do the things that she needs to do to function in her family, let alone to be able to keep her job. But her husband compels her to do the things that she needs to do to be able to keep her job. And what? why is her job in uh, threatened? It's because someone at, at where she works has said, hey, look, we only have enough money to either A, give everybody on the team bonuses, or B, um, let her go. Let Marion Cotillard's character go. We're going to put it to a vote. It's your decision, everybody, what you want. And she must fight for a re-vote because she feels the first vote was, let's say, done unfairly. For good reason. It's explained in the film. So she go, must go to every single person to compel them to vote for her come Monday morning at work. And man, I swear this is some of the this is some of the great drama I've seen this decade, foreign film or otherwise. Marion Cotillard carries this film. It's beautifully acted. It's it's stripped down. There's nothing special or stylized or anything about it it's literally just watching her on the phone with people or going door to door with people um 
and you know making her case and them making their case or whatever you know going back and forth and realizing you know people have very real reasons for uh, wanting being financially strapped you know but it was definitely one of my absolute favorites uh, and I think one of the greatest of the decade. So it's our number 10. Our number 9 on the list is 13 Assassins from uh, Japanese director Takashi Miike, who, let me tell you, this guy is so extreme. He is too much for me. I, audition anybody? I'm squeamish, as Shannon knows. His movies are a little too much for me. <laughs> but... 13 Assassins is extraordinary. It's such an extraordinary achievement. I mean, very few people do or attempt to do what Takashi Miike did in this samurai epic about a group of assassins who are hired to take down this evil lord who is on his way to solidify his power, which would lead to a sadistic rule to say the least and boy does he set the stage with this character in the first 20 minutes doesn't he but you got you you got the the end choreography of the battle was awesome and it is by the way a 45 minute battle all that is i would say like mostly practical practically done a la akira kurosawa's seven samurai starts off batshit insane mind-blowing you got cattle on fire and giant fences uh, going, uh, closing. It was and very interesting. It was kind of like if The Walking Dead had to happen now, we'd be set after watching this film <laughs> because they show you practical ways of, like, defense. Yes. For a, for a village. So it was, it was pretty cool in that way. Yeah, it is an extraordinary film. And, I mean, the, the, the amount of detail, the amount of, period detail this guy put into it i recommend reading my original review i I eventually named it the best film of 2011 and you'll probably read about this film in the upcoming piece best of 2010's foreign films of the decade Uh, but it is available on hulu you can see it for yourself and just let your jaw hang uh shanna why don't you talk to us about our number eight pick and one of your absolute favorites of the decade our number eight is The Secret in Their Eyes from 2011. 2010. I'm so sorry, 2010. These dates are very upsetting for me. <laughs> this is about a retired legal counselor writing a novel, hoping to find closure for one of his past unresolved homicide cases and for his unreciprocated love with his supervisor. Both still haunt him decades later. This, I love this film. This was like, this is like my favorite foreign mystery drama film. Now there is a remake of this with Julia Roberts, which I was really keen to watch. And then I showed you this. still hadn't. And then you showed me this and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, fuck that shit. I love Julia Roberts, but I was like, there's no way that this can be as good as the foreign film. And it's reputed as to be extremely inferior so well and, and I, they they changed some of the plot elements yeah too. it's it seems that way so now i'm kind of like well and this this has such a satisfying end too so go and check that one out and also to be clear this is an argentinian film yeah from juan jose campanella which is worth noting as well 
Our next movie, our seventh favorite film, is from 2017. It is on Netflix, and it is Raw, a film that we reviewed on The Movie Lovers uh, last year, actually. I think it was a main review, and we came away absolutely just loving this film, didn't we, Shanna? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really liked this film. It was really, really interesting, and... It's so great, weird. It's a great so coming weird. of age uh, and, and, and very creative and coming of age film. And breaking away from your parents. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. I believe this is a French film. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Which is by, oh, yes, that's right. Julia Ducournau. It was an F-rated film, right? Tri- right. Triple F-rated film. Forgot about that's, that. That's where we reviewed it, probably. That's right. Yeah, so. yeah, we talked quite a bit about it that year uh, as we were focusing on F-rated films. Grand Smerlier plays Justine, this main character who goes to this private vet school where her sister has been studying. And, of course, she's strongly vegetarian, you know, going into this. And, you know, um, she... Because that's how she was raised by her parents, who also went to that school. That's a very good point. Yes, that's very true. And, you know, she ends up discovering some new tastes, let's say. And uh, this ended up being a really great horror film in, in a way, and it made me nervous, had some very wincing, unpleasant moments in it, but a great story, and it ended up being a, a favorite of ours, even at the end of that year, I think, too. So, Shannon, why don't you talk to us about our sixth favorite film? Our sixth favorite film is The Lunchbox. This is an Indian film taking place in Mumbai, and shows introduces us to the efficient lunchbox system that they have. Yeah, that was stud- It's very proudly studied by the people at Harvard, and <laughs> we are reminded of that like I think six times throughout right. this film. It's fantastic. But what happens is there is a fault in the system because someone is not getting the lunch they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So between. Uh, I do not know how to pronounce these names correctly, so I do well, apologize. Irfan Khan okay, is Irfan the main Khan character. And Nimra Kwar? Is that how you would say it, do you think? I, I think so. That's okay. as good as I can uh, Okay, do. I do apologize if I get it wrong. Fantastic people. Yeah. And uh, she is sending the lunchbox to what she thinks is her husband. And actually, she's sending it to uh, him, uh, who is not her husband. A stranger, a complete yes. stranger. And he is just loving this food. It's all, you know, obviously homemade. Right. And so it's really quite lovely. Right. And, and of course, a sort of relationship sparks, even though she's married, they have this, like, letters that they send back and forth through the lunchbox to each other, too, right? Yeah, sometimes they get a letter and sometimes they don't. And it's right. just this really and lovely love story. And actually. sometimes when they don't, there's a reason. It means something, <laughs> you know. Um, and so it's really, it's this really fun play. With, yeah, it's, it's a, a very fun. playful romance. And it, and, and it's no, worth noting because I've been seeing quite a bit of uh, Bollywood films as one of the only ones that is going to be under two hours, uh, by the way, and not have a musical production. Uh, in it. Oh, you just spoiled it for everyone. <laughs> anyway, the, no lunchbox song. <laughs> right, no lunchbox song. That is by uh, Ritesh Batra, and that film is from the year 2014. Our next film was quite a delightful discovery for us last year. It was our only 
foreign film we discovered last year, and I think we talked about it on the podcast last year, it is yeah. Yeah, 2018's Revenge. Yes. Which is quite quite the uh, violent experience, basically. These guys are on some sort of a male corporate hunting, hunting trip yeah. in the uh, in Australia, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think they're French, if I'm not mistaken. But and they bring the one guy brings his mistress with. Right, played and by that go well. what's her name? She's fantastic in this. Uh, Matilda Lutz. That's right, Matilda Lutz. Things go wrong. Yeah, that's a good way of putting get, it. You know, if you're into Kill Bill, if you're into any Quentin Tarantino revenge type films, you're going to really like this one. Yeah, it's quite visceral oh, ride, it's though. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Of all the movies, though, like <laughs> I've been having staring at me, all the Blu-rays I've been having staring at me, because uh, I sit literally right next to where our Blu-ray shelf is, this is one that's just been like a neon sign for a rewatch. There for them. You know, I just, I just, I, but it's been begging for a rewatch for me lately. But I know I can't rewatch it without you. So, no, don't you dare. Yeah, but it is a delightful, violent, uh, vicious fun. as uh, Revenge from 2018. Shanna, why don't you introduce our number four, Ooh. which comes from the Philippines. Why don't you introduce this one? Because this, this is a very intense film. This is... Yes, The, the Raid, Raid Redemption from 2012, available on Netflix... If you like action films, you need to see The Raid Redemption because this thing is fucking nuts. It's a, it's an action film that sets in, it's in one location, you know, a la Die Hard. Um, it's a raid of one building. They go floor by floor trying to make it up to this big boss. It is insane right? action. Right? Oh, my gosh. And it, it's all, like, parkour, insane martial arts type action uh, again, this is from the Philippines, I believe, which is, uh, I, I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this or heard of anything like this from uh, the Philippines. Well, and I feel like it's a better action film than a lot of American films. Oh, I, I, I apologize. I'm constantly saying the wrong thing. Indonesia, Indonesia. It takes place in Jakarta, Indonesia. So I apologies to Maybe the Indonesians. No, no, no. Same, same oh, town because it takes place right after. We just watched the read two, the sequel, a couple weeks ago in prep for this as well. Insane. Both of those are insane. I think I like the first one a little bit better as, as a story, but you will not find anything that compares in action this decade to what you see and witness in The Raid. Redemption, directed by Gareth Evans or Gareth Ho Evans. Apologies about our terrible uh, pronunciation. This is actually the thing that made Gareth Evans' career, and he's gone on to d- participate in VHS 2, and he came out with a film called Apostle that got a lot of good reviews. But this is the one to see. You can find it on Netflix. Take our word for it. If you're an action movie hound, you haven't lived till you've seen The Raid Redemption. <laughs> so our next film is possibly my favorite film that we got to watch oh. uh, during our research on these foreign films is Timbuktu from 2015. Mm-hmm. And what country is this from again? Oh, I was totally uh, going to look it up as you spoke. Okay, well, um, you look that up. This is a film about the erasure and destruction of culture through the power of a particular religious extremist group. I love the actors, according to the director, 
The people in this film came from many different places. Some were cast on the street, some were from a refugee camp. Uh, did you find out what country? Yeah, Mali. Oh. Mali. Malayan city of Timbuktu? Yeah. Okay. So, Mauritania. Mauritania. So people speak in those local dialects, uh, Bambara, Arabic, and occasionally French. Mm. But go ahead, sorry. Seeing the dialect, dialect of how one speaks, no matter the situation, really gives us a beautiful insight into the respect and calmness this culture generally has. Yes, the, that's true. The women in this film are what we know women to be. Our protectors, our compassionate others, mm. our resistance... For so long, I have knowingly been brainwashed into believing women have no power and are weak. But if you watch this carefully, you see women as who they really are, what the power they re- what power they really have. Mm. I want to watch this over and over again. Oh, really? Wow! Even though there's points in it that are very difficult for me because there is, as I said, that element of erasure and destruction of culture. That's very well said. It's not a very long movie. It's and that was all my own description. <laughs> I'll just have you know. High five to it's you. It's not very from good. IMDb. It's from Shanna right here. Yeah. Uh, it's only a 97-minute uh, film. and You do have you know, to rent this from somewhere. Yeah, you have to find it down. But, but this is the... This, <laughs> if I may, yeah. this is a really great example of a, a foreign film be showing you a completely different life experience from what you are used to. There's nothing Western about this film. What's really great about it is there is a humanness you know, to it. It, it really shows you these, the, the people from on the other side of the world with these other you know, non-first world ways of living. You know, I mean, it's about a cattle herder, for crying out loud, right? You know, that they are, they are human, you know, and, and all these other people who are, are dealing with, even today, this is not set in the past. This is very much recent, like dealing with oppression, daily oppression of their lives. Those very, they can't play music at night, you know, or they'll get arrested. They can't. I don't think they're allowed to play music at all. Okay, well, it's definitely enforced at night because people yeah. are looking around at night. Well, there's right? curfew at night as well. Right, you know, yeah. you know, women can't be in the same room uh, with men if they're not married at night, and you know, or they'll get brutally punished. You know, so this is a a, a gorgeous film, and it has it for its simplicity, and for its its depiction of 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 this other culture that is just um, fascinating. So I'm glad that that really uh, spoke to you. Our second favorite film, interestingly enough, ended up being another Korean film. It is Train to Busan from 2016, available on Netflix. It is a completely different, changing tracks here, type of story. It's basically zombies on a train. And this thing just does not stop. Amazing performances. It does really strong characters. I don't think there's a single weakly written character in this film. Uh, not too much. I mean, like, you there's know. bad characters. Yeah, and they're kind of one-note, you know, assholes. You know, but... You have to have those when there's a zombie film. I will say there's a good six characters in here that I care about whether or not they live or die. Yeah. You know? It's it, it, it's a blast of a film. And let Can me... Can we see. watch this again? 
of course we can watch this again. Uh, it's Netflix, like I said. Oh my gosh, is we should just go watch it again. It's directed by Sein Ho Yon, and it is, you know, you think that the whole zombie theme has been tired and done to death, no pun intended, but Sein Ho Yon um, finds a way to make it entertaining and fresh and different. He is a director of such other films as Soul Station and The Fake. And hey, there is a Train to Busan 2 in pre-production right now, yeah. 2020. Yeah, that's so very you exciting. Definitely want to catch up with uh, this one before that comes out. And you'll find it, like I said, again, on Netflix. And, and as is our absolute favorite foreign film pick, Shanna, why don't you tell them a little bit about this one from 2011? Ah, yes, A Separation. By Ashgar Farhadi, one of the voices of Iranian cinema this decade. This film was really interesting. It's about a married couple, and the wife wants to go in one direction, and the husband wants to stay with his sick father. Uh-huh. She wants to leave the country. For I, career purposes. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure which country she wants to go to, but she wants to leave. And how the film begins is they're in front of a judge and they're trying to get help with whether they're going to be able to have a divorce or not so that they can have one of them is going to decide who gets the daughter because in that culture you have to go in front of a a judge in order to be allowed to get a divorce the judge has to grant the divorce and you have to plead a case And typically, oh, there's another movie I wanted you to see called Get that really belabored this point. Typically, like what has to happen is the guy has to uh, either prove to be a bad husband. Yeah. Or he has to grant permission for the divorce. Yes. And he wasn't going to grant permission for the divorce. And it was so interesting because the judge asks, well, is he a bad man? And she says... No, he's not a bad man in any stretch of the imagination. Right. And it was so good to hear that. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of American TV shows that have divorce happening in them. And just to get away from the other, it, like things are said. Sure. Let me say. And this is like another look into another culture that is trying to be so respectful of each other. Yes. In the way they treat each other mm-hmm. and with the word choices that they have. Yes. And it's very inspirational to me because I feel like sometimes I am not using the best word choices. And watching these foreign films was very inspirational and feeding for that. Yeah. But essentially something happens and now his good nature is questioned. Right. Yes. Well, see what you're skipping. uh, So there's a series of this separation leads to him having to get a caretaker to take care of the house and take care of his father. Well, I think he's working or something like that too, right? His father is suffering from Alzheimer's. Right. Right. And then it was just kind of this domino effect of things, right? And then one thing leads to another, and it's a matter of whether or not uh, he's going to jail for murder, uh, essentially. But here's the thing, uh, mostly Ashkar Farhadi, I've seen two out of his three best known films. I missed the past. I haven't gotten to see that yet. Uh, but I have seen this and The Salesman. And what he does is, you know, he, Iran, Iran's a different culture from us, but he really focuses on the human and how much, like, you can relate to people's situations, no matter what the culture is. 
right? This guy, he's just he's worried about his father back home, his father being taken care of. He's worried about his father being treated well. Um, he's worried about his daughter and and her schooling and and her being taken care of as well. And, and you yeah, know, it's funny that you mentioned the schooling. That's when we found something that was exactly that we could relate to. The I think the daughter's learning old Persian. Okay. Yeah. What is old it? Persian, you mean? Or Persian, something? old Persian. Okay. And she says a word of specific way, or she uses a particular word, and he's like, "It's not that." Oh and yeah, yeah. And she says, "That's what the teacher told us," and he says, "Hey, don't start that." <laughs> it's yeah, like, right. Oh my god, that is exactly everybody can relate to that, and that's right. what's so cool about that film is there's certain things. Most of it is this awesome introduction to a different culture, but there are certain things that we can all relate to, and that's how our child is telling us how mm -hmm. homework needs to be done, and we know it's supposed to be done in a particular way. Yeah, so. that's a very relatable uh, scene in the film. But it's a beautiful story, beautifully told story. I think it's his best film of all the films, and uh, we highly encourage you check it out on Netflix. That is A Separation from 2011 by Ashgar Farhadi. Uh, and that is our favorite foreign film of the decade. What are some of your favorite foreign films of the decade? What did we overlook or miss or what have you? Uh, feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Uh, of course, that's going to do it for us in this episode. Before we talk about next episode, why don't you talk to them about where they can find you on the Internet? You can find me on Instagram, Shanna underscore Paxton, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. Excellent. So you can go to thegibsonreview.com, find all past articles, um, look for the series Best of the 2010s at thegibsonreview.com. You'll find best love stories, best animation, and shortly, sometime after this podcast episode airs, you'll find best foreign films of the decade on there. Uh, that'll be April's article, as well as past episodes, too. Go to The Gibson Review on Facebook to find all things movie-related, and The Gibson 99 on Instagram to find movie-related content on there as well. You can find uh, our episodes not only on iTunes and SoundCloud, but you can find us now on Spotify, which is very exciting. Spotify. We're on Spotify now. <laughs> so they've got our new podcast section. Search the Gibson Review if it's easiest for you or the movie lovers. Then hit follow, and you'll never miss an episode. So uh, that's very exciting, too. I think that's about it. Oh, of course, you can always find on the flick chart, the Gibson 99. I'm getting close to 3,300 movies, Shanna. 3,300 movies. I think that's really low, Jeff. <gasps> I want to see your flick chart. The challenge has been accepted. You are oh, on this now. This is a fun challenge. Mm, okay, yes. this will be fun. Mm, you got it. Oh, and then at crack the end open. of the year, we can check in. Yes. And see how far Crack open that uh, that laptop girl and <laughs> sign on a flick chart. Flick, flick, flick. We're going, yes, absolutely. We're going to uh, have a flick challenge. In the meantime, the next episode of The Movie Lovers, episode 53, we'll be reviewing Shazam, the newest film from DC. Are you excited about that, Shanna? You don't look excited. <laughs> I'm so tired of seeing the trailer. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's yeah. just go. Let's go, just go do it. And uh, Film Phase will be focusing back on our year-by-year -year countdown to 1987. Look for that on April 16th 
Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye. The Secret in Their Eyes is a mystery crime drama. Uh, I'm going to read its description. A tight-knit team of rising investigators, along with their supervisor, is suddenly torn apart when they discover that one of their own teenage daughters has been brutally murdered. This is not right. This is not the right way. You're... Oh, God, woman. So that's the remake, if you care to go check that out. But I highly recommend the foreign film, which I'll give to you in just a second. Yeah, I'm probably going to delete that. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> All right.